All right, let's go. Welcome to The Dad Presents, where we pledge allegiance only to family and principles. If you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, please click the like and subscribe buttons. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, please give us a five-star review. And if you're not listening or watching, then you're a bad person. But you can't hear me, so you wouldn't know, because you're not listening. Anyway, guys, we're living in biblical end times right now. I mean, that's very obvious to everybody. So get right with God by following all of us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at The Dad Presents. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to be spreading all kinds of love and liberty with Gene Epstein. Gene is one of the greatest economists on planet Earth, and you're going to be at least 5% less dumb after this podcast, and that is a promise. He's a brilliant guy. You're going to love it. But did y'all have a Merry Christmas? Huh? Merry Christmas. What you heard right there, that, that quiver you hear in my voice, that's a very specific kind of singing skill. It's called a vibrato. Very, very few people in the world have the physical tools to pull that off. It's basically like, um, well, there's Whitney Houston, Pavarotti, and, and me. It's really the whole list. Did Santa bring yins the good stuff, I hope? If you don't know, yins is how people from Pittsburgh say you or y'all or use guys. Uh, we say yins from Pittsburgh. Did you celebrate Fauci's birthday on Christmas Eve? I hope so. Because if you're not in the Fauci cult, then you wouldn't have known that December 24th is Democrat Jesus's birthday. I knew that because the Democrats send out a text to remind everyone and I got one because I'm, I'm in the cult, you know. Now, the DNC did not send me a Merry Christmas text, but they definitely sent me a happy birthday to Fauci text. And I really appreciate that because it also came with a link to make a donation which was awesome. It's a cult, Yinzers. It's a total cult. I've been telling you. So look, man, if you haven't yet sent your frankincense and myrrh to Fauci, it's not too late. Box up that frankincense, box up that gold and ship it to the White House. I'm sure they will appreciate. You know, I've been saying it's a cult and you want to know how I know it's a cult. Well, number one, they don't care about facts. That's the first sign of cult. But number two, I went to cultresearch.org, and you can go there yourself, and they list all the characteristics of a cult. Just read the top three. Just read the top three. Okay, number one, the group exhibits a zealous commitment to its leader. Uh, <laughs> people have been buying each other St. Fauci candles, Fauci dolls. I've even seen some, some Fauci tattoos, so it qualifies. Number two, dissent is punished right? Big tech silences any COVID dissent that goes against dear leader. I've been, we've been silenced here on Facebook. We've been silenced on Twitter. You can't question dear leader. Qualifies. Number three, the leader of the cult is believed to be on a special mission to save humanity. I mean, do I need to say more than that? And look, man, I didn't make those things up. Go to the website yourself and look. It's crazy. There's a dozen more reasons there, and it's bonkers. They're a cult. Like I said last week, just I, being in a cult is fun. I know. You want to be part of the group. You want to you wanna be loved by others and, and be surrounded by like minds. Just hang in there. 
wait till by May or June of next year, we will have a Dad Presents cult for you to join. Drugs and virgins for everyone. You have my word. So hang in there. Don't jump on the Fauci cult just yet. But I hope you had a great Christmas. Ours was amazing over here. I'm wearing this beautiful t-shirt. I don't know if, if you can see. It's a uh, my nine-year-old. He has his own swag and merch, and he gave me some of his merch for Christmas. It's pretty dope, right? It's a big red, big red Godzilla, and I love it. I got my son one of those Oculus virtual reality sets, and he's loving it. I then I tried the Apollo boxing game. I used to be a boxer. It's it's crazy realistic, guys. So of course, when I have this crazy realistic virtual reality 3D experience in boxing. Being a dude, my mind predictably immediately went to the dark side and drifted to the idea of virtual reality three-dimensional porn. <laughs> of course, right? Of course. Every guy, every guy would. That's where it's going. So if, as soon as the kids went to bed, look, man, I'm not, I'm not going to get into details. I'm just going to say it's insane. And I'm not going to do it again because I can see how, how VR porn can ruin lives. It's bonkers. I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried, man. I'm worried for my sons. When I was my kid's age, just like every boy out there, I couldn't keep my hands off myself. I couldn't. Boys can't. You know, you're going through puberty. You can't keep your hands off yourself. But back then in the 80s, dude, porn wasn't even a thing yet. I mean, we had... The underwear section of the Sears catalog, maybe your mom got Victoria's Secret, and you could go downstairs and watch the scrambled adult channel on the TV long enough, you might actually catch a boob at some point, which was probably an elbow, but whatever. That's all we had, and it got the job done. But the only real, actual, real, legit porn I had access to was there were a few communal playboys that were stashed in a plastic bag under a decomposing couch and a landfill that we used to call the pit. And that's real. That's real, man. That's what we had. A few Playboys in a plastic bag in a landfill. Getting porn in the 80s required effort and planning and execution. You couldn't just go on your phone and boop, 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 boop and have everything right at your fingertips. You had to have an excuse to get out the house. You had to make sure your tetanus boosters were up to date so that you didn't catch a nail on your way into the garbage landfill. You had to risk life and limb climbing down an obstacle course of rusty metal things, keeping your eyes peeled for friggin' skunks and, and possums and, and feral cats. It's crazy. Right, and then at the bottom you find the special couch, and you had to you get all excited, and you had there's there's this lingering fear that one of your buddies would show up at the same time, Jack and his President Clinton, right? And you couldn't have that because that would ruin the rest of your life for junior high. So it was an adventure to get porn in the '80s, right? You you dig under that couch, you'd find those magazines, you'd rifle through the crunchy pages, pick out one of the coked up platinum bleach blondes from with 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 1980s Brett Michaels hair and a pancake cast and a, and a whole forest of pubes. And then you'd get to work. And there was pressure, man, because anybody could just show up. It was terrifying and exciting. You had to finish the job before your buddy Billy Talenka showed up to to get his porn on on. But nowadays these teens, they've literally got the most beautiful women in the world. Fully grown, curvy, three-dimensional women 
appearing inches from their face. And you can see everything. It's too much, man. These boys don't stand a chance. I'm worried about my kids. Honestly, older men with low T don't stand a chance. How's a kid who's whose body is 83% testosterone expected to function in a society with all of this at his fingertips, right? Like how's a kid, he's coming up now with what he has now. How's he supposed to survive a healthy, mutually loving relationship with a woman who spends all his money and is constantly telling him how to behave in public, take out the trash, slow down, you're driving too fast, uh... My sister's going to spend the weekend in our guest room. How's he expected to endure a relationship like that when dude has all the candy with none of the baggage when he's 14 years old? It's unrealistic. Not to be overdramatic or sound like a preacher from 1980, but I feel like this is the beginning of the end of humanity, right? We get the virtual reality porn. Next, you're going to get the full body sensor suit where you can feel all those things you're seeing. Then you know Zuckerberg's going to bring us full-on orgies in his creepy metaverse. Then what's next? Sex robots, right? Obviously, sex robots comes after the metaverse. Then it's game over. Game over. Sex robots, game over. We stop making babies. The robots take over. Right now, we are living the prequel to Terminator. Now, go back and watch those movies. I don't, I don't think they made a, a prequel to before the robots were around, right? There's a, there's a prequel to the original Terminator, I do believe, but there's no prequel to the prequel. That's right now. We're living it right now. It's a documentary. COVID's over. That's cool. Vaccines stopped COVID and stave us all. Yay! <laughs> right? We have more infections now than ever before. But guess what, guys? This is interesting. There's one spot in the world that barely has any COVID. You know where that is? Japan. It's weird. It's fucking weird. COVID is is dominating the world right now, and they barely have any. Hey, hey, Mr. Science, Mr. Dear Leader, St. Fauci, I got a weird sciencey question for you. If ivermectin doesn't work, then how come it works? Why does it work if it doesn't work? Why does ivermectin work if it doesn't work? Japan has been getting its ass kicked from COVID at the same rate as America and the rest of the world through this whole thing. But then around October, their cases took a mysterious nosedive. With the recent Omicron surge we're having, they've had almost none. It's a mystery. The Washington Post posted this article. Let me read you the headline they, they, they put up, right? This is the headline, Washington Post. With Omicron exploding around the world, COVID plummets in Japan, and nobody knows why. Nobody knows why. That's fascinating. And if you read on, you see they have a few theories. Okay, let me read you some of the theories. Honestly, we don't know the exact reason for the plummet says Professor Taro Yamamoto. Researchers have examined factors like weather, cyclical patterns in the spread of the virus, the Japanese diet, and genetic characteristics. 
genetic characteristics. Hmm, interesting. So they think that maybe eating a lot of fish might combat COVID. Wish you would have told me that in January 2020. Or possibly the Japanese might have superior genetics. You know, eugenics. You know, like how tall blonde Germans had superior genetics. It's weird, though, that these superior Japanese genetics didn't kick in for the first 20 months of the pandemic. They're just kicking in now. Super weird, right? Or maybe it's the ivermectin. Because in September, a month before the COVID numbers mysteriously dropped off and nobody knows why, the head of the Tokyo Medical Association went on national TV in Japan and he told doctors, start prescribing ivermectin to stop the spread. Head of the Tokyo Medical Association went on TV, told doctors to do that. And guess what? They did. And guess what? It's gone. COVID's gone. Now, I mean... You would think that these brilliant researchers and the great, great, great journalists at Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos would at least mention ivermectin in their article, that they might at least mention ivermectin as a possible factor in the COVID decline. But I guess not. I guess it's just a weird coincidence that they gave him ivermectin and then COVID disappeared. I guess it's much more likely that the Japanese have superior genetics. Though not coincidentally, millions of gunshot victims have died outside Japanese emergency rooms because their emergency rooms were overcrowded with people who ingested horse paste. <laughs> That's, I'm obviously kidding. I'm mocking the Rolling Stone magazine who actually reported that bullshit in Oklahoma City last year. They said that people... People, people were dying in Oklahoma City from gunshot wounds because they couldn't get in the ER because everybody had diarrhea. That was a real story in the Rolling Stone and what might have been the most preposterous story of the year. Whatever. There were, maybe not. There were a lot of preposterous stories in the last year. I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay, fellers, fellerettes. How much longer are you going to listen and obey? They didn't let you go to church and worship for a year. They imprisoned you in your home. They put you out of business and enriched themselves. They closed your kid's school. When they let them go back to school, now they're not allowed to see each other smile. They caused an epidemic of addiction, suicide, and homicide. They wouldn't let you hold your mother's hand as she died. They don't care about you. They do not care about you. They control you by making you afraid. They control you by turning you against your neighbor. They control you by convincing you that only they can protect you. The Muslims hate you because of your freedoms. Give up your freedoms and we'll protect you. White supremacists are trying to end democracy. Give up your freedoms and we'll protect you. COVID is going to kill you. Give up your freedoms. We'll protect you. But eventually, every one of their grifts runs out of steam and people catch on. And then at that point, they move on to the next scare tactic. People are starting to catch on now about COVID. So what's it going to be next, huh? 
global warming is going to kill you. Give up your freedoms and we'll protect you. I don't know. Maybe. How much longer are you going to listen? How much longer will you listen and obey? How much longer will you let them rob your children of their childhood? How much longer until you stand tall? Take back control of your life and tell them, this ends now. This ends now, motherfuckers. They make you afraid and hateful of each other. You sacrifice your freedoms for safety and protection. They become more powerful and wealthy and you become powerless and poor. How much longer will you listen and obey? I mean, COVID has run through all three of your vaccines. All three of them. It's run right through it. But yeah, I'm sure that cotton t-shirt you're making my kid wear on his face is going to protect you. If, if, if we don't allow the kids to see each other smile for maybe another, I don't know, another year, another decade, then maybe they'll all get depressed and kill themselves and kill each other. So then we won't have to worry about them giving us COVID. Maybe that's the plan. I don't know. Is that too harsh? Maybe, but it's reality. Kids are killing themselves in record numbers. That is a fact. Kids are killing themselves in record numbers. And I don't think it's unrelated. This masking stuff, we know it doesn't work. It's child abuse. I'm sorry if that, if that makes you feel about your decisions in the past couple of years, but it is what it is. Just be prepared to face a wave of resentment when our children grow up and realize that a large chunk of their childhoods were sacrificed because some people thought they could protect themselves by forcing kids to wear t-shirts over their mouths and not touch each other. Just be ready. They're going to be mad. They're going to be damaged and they're going to resent you. So I, I'm not an I told you so kind of guy. So I'm telling you now. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by SheThunderwear.com. Code word dad for 20% off the greatest underwear on the planet. I, in the wintertime, it's just been a snuggly, snuggly winter. My wife got me these brand new soft flannel pajamas. And under them, I wear the sheath underwear, the cotton blend. It's the softest cotton I've ever felt in my life. And it's just been a snuggly, snuggly, old-timey Pennsylvania-like winter here in California. And it's because of sheath underwear. Go get yourself some. And now, let's get into the podcast with Gene Epstein. Today, we're with Mr. Gene Epstein. Gene served as chief economist for the New York Stock Exchange. He's brilliant, and he hosts the amazing debates at the Soho Forum. He's returning to the Dad Presents to help prepare you guys for the economy in 2022. Oh Happy gosh. holidays, Gene. How you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm doing fine, and uh, it's, uh, I do regard it as a daunting assignment to prepare people for the economy in yeah. 2022. They're ramping up the COVID fear again. You're in New York City. I'm out here in Los Angeles. Yeah. The way they talk about it on CNN, um, I'm understanding that they're starting to pile up bodies in the streets because they've run oh. out of places to keep the, the people who have died from COVID. Um, yeah. So are the streets starting to smell from all the decomposing <laughs> dead? What's what's going on in New York? <laughs> well, a couple of points. Number one, yeah. I... 
I'm 77 years old. I guess I thank God for small favors. I hate the Vax mandates. Mm-hmm. I, I hate what they're doing. I, I, by the way, I reflect. I reflect that I'm beginning to find two diff- two interesting kinds of libertarians. Uh, there are the libertarians who have absolutely no qualms about counterfeiting their Vax papers. Sure. And I met a number of those who do that. Mm. And and I Me keep too. telling what. I said, me too. I've met them too. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to confess to having done it. But anyway, <laughs> you don't want to do that. No. Because, uh, uh, you know, Big Brother is watching us. Sure. Anyway, um, and then uh, there are those libertarians who will tell me that, well, I'm happy that some people counterfeit, but I can't counterfeit. I'm not going to do that. You know, the, the libertarians who just won't go so far as to just, you know, live their life, come to a Broadway show in New York City, enjoy themselves with counterfeit papers. Because it, because the, 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 the vax requirements we've been going through are sort of reminiscent of what I gather uh, prohibition in the 1920s really was really like. Well, well, we had a few of these prominent cases of people getting caught for drinking, I, mm-hmm. I gather that the government just didn't enforce it. Uh, and so the government is really not enforcing vaccine. You go to places and they barely look at your papers. Clearly, nobody cares about whether they're falsified or not. I digress when I because I didn't respond to your question. I want to respond to all aspects of it. The other part of it as well is that I, when I said I thank God for small favors, I take heart in the fact that both, you know, uh, sleepy Joe Biden and uh, and Mayor de Blasio of New York City and probably the new mayor coming in have said over and over again, no more lockdowns. And and that, I too, know. by the Oh, well, you know, what do you mean? What do you say? No, I mean, they, I know they've said that over. They they oh. they just they say one thing, they do another. Okay. Liars and hypocrites. All right, then. OK, then we're going to see you and I going to make a forecast. I think that even they and I did make this forecast. I said that, look, they 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 can't keep the lockdowns going forever. Yes, indeed. On the federal level, you can print money and you don't have to worry about taxes. But clearly, you don't want high unemployment again. If you if you're if you're the Democrats in power, uh, you don't want the city shutting down. If you're the mayor, it's not popular with people. And you True. do worry about the tax base, even though, of course, you like printing money. It does destroy the tax base. So I think so. I predicted that, look, they're not they're going to have to ease up on the lockdowns they really have no choice and 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 now you're saying well uh, i I claim to be right because they keep repudiating lockdowns the blasio of of new york city says no 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 lockdown we know how to deal with it we've got the vax mandates i think that they're latching on the cockamamie vax mandates and mask mandates um, and saying that should be sufficient we don't have to lock down so i'm predicting that the lockdowns are not going to come back uh, and uh, well, I, ho- you're I hope you're I'm, right. I hope you're, you're right. You're saying I'm full of it. I hope no, I'm, I'm not right. saying you're full of it. I just de Blasio is on his way out. And it yes. seems to me he's just trying to burn down the city on his way out. I mean, I heard oh. I heard he's uh, at his last physical. His doctor said his entire body is made out of nothing but Play-Doh and farts. And <laughs> I think he's just I think he wants to destroy New York City. I think he did a bad job and he wants to make yeah. it hard for the next guy coming in. Do you have any want, hope but, for Eric Adams at all? Well, yeah, a little bit. Of, well, okay, you, you're shifting to Eric Adams. I, I want I, I want to mention that question, but I didn't, didn't sufficiently answer your other question, sure. which which is only that when you talked about all those people dying in the streets, I guess I guess you know that what what I 
do is, in particular, I take an interest in New York City because I'm stuck here. I live here. I've been, <laughs> I've been living here since 1967. I'm 77. Unfortunately, I, I understand that people want to move, but it's a little bit difficult for me to move at this stage. And I do, uh, I do love and like New York in many ways. Still, New York City. Still, even though there's plenty to hate and to dislike and balance, there's lots to still like and love. And uh, so I'm a little hooked on New York and I'm stuck here. So I, I do like to look at the numbers for New York and the New York City numbers, by the way, put out by the health department are put out by by sophisticated hospitals that have a reasonable sophistication with respect to numbers. And as I've reported a couple of times in tweets, uh, you've got this case, these cases going through the roof. But 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 it's not reflected in hospitalizations or deaths, yes. and it should have been in terms of hospitalizations. If you look at the patterns, uh, that if you have a if you, if you have a spike in uh, in uh, in cases, it's about a week later when hospitalizations should respond. And, and that's so not happened. It's not yeah. happened. I saw and your so, tweet yesterday. Oh, yeah, the, you did. Okay. The, yeah, right. yeah. The um the yeah. cases are through the roof. Yeah, yeah. Like all time highs, but hospitalizations and death, not, nothing's happening. Yeah. So, and, and and I, and I, I tell you? And, yeah, right. And even I, I I do attribute it to two things, not just to what the powers that be, even De Blasio says it does look as though it's pretty mild. Um, and they'll, they say, well, it's hitting a lot of people, so maybe there'll be increasing in hospitalization, but it hasn't happened and it should have happened uh, based upon past patterns. Uh, but then also, I think that it's just uh, obviously a testing panic that's going on. Uh, way too many people are getting tested who may be asymptomatic. They're striking fear into people. Yeah. So that too is a fairly good sign. I look. I'm willing to be proved wrong. We're always in, in, in uh, with respect to the hospitalizations and death. We're always looking at uncharted territory. But uh, certainly, that's a striking pattern so far. And uh, uh, Broadway's revenues are down. They shows are struggling. But uh, but I'm optimistic. There is a determination to keep things going. Uh, in my neighborhood, the restaurants are full. Uh, I've gone to a couple of Broadway shows, and the and the shows were full. You do have to wear the cockamamie mask, but you can just sort of you know strip them down. Uh, I've gone to a number of restaurants that are pretty crowded. Uh, I've walked through Times Square. It's no longer a ghost town. It's filled with people. De Blasio had to declare that we shouldn't get the normal hundreds of thousands of people in Times Square for New Year's Eve. We're still going to get a lot of people. So, in fact, uh, at least that I haven't traveled to the outer boroughs where I gather. I gather from a friend of mine in, who, who was in Queens, a couple of other people live in Queens, but they're not even enforcing the vax mandates. Nobody even asks you any questions in the restaurants. Really? And so, yeah. So. So in fact, it's a this this city is not doing badly, uh, uh, and I'm still running. I'm running my soul forum, and as perhaps you know, uh, I, I I hit upon the idea of having a mask-free, vax-free simulcast of the soul forum in my large loft apartment with my hundred hundred twenty. Three foot screen, so that people could come to my loft apartment. It's got huge capacity. We had about forty people who showed up to watch the uh, last debate we did on vax mandates. In fact, on December eighth, and then two blocks away, we were doing the actual debate uh, at the Sheen Center. Uh, our next debate in February is going to be the same thing. We're going to have it at the Sheen Center, and two blocks away, there will be a no vax, no mask requirement simulcast in my apartment, and then we're going to have the reception there later. 
And some wonderful people showed up in my apartment, the people who don't want to be vaxxed. All, all these people are, people are coming to your apartment while you're not there. You're at the debate. And you're well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apartment? No, my wife is there. To bust <laughs> okay. Although she was flooded with people. We got that more staff, which which segues into something else, which is we're, 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 I'm trying to launch a donation drive. I'm trying to say, and hopefully you give me the opportunity to say this now on your podcast. Yes, please do. That, that, look, the critics, the critics who, who, who've said that that we are uh, we're giving up on a principle by 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 putting on uh, our uh, our debates uh, in in a physical space in New York City and accepting the rules that say you've got to be vaxxed. I I I agree with you completely. But as I also said uh, to those people that we 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 could be we could go back to Zoom debates, but but that was just dispiriting for me. I sure don't was. I don't I don't draw a salary from the Soul Forum, and I, it's a labor of love and the zoom debates were just not something i loved i'm glad we did them but i don't want to keep doing zoom debates i want to have the party i want to have the gathering i can't leave new york city because i'm sort of stuck here i'm 77 and secondly we don't have the money to take the show on the road so i've asked for donations to keep it going with respect to my alternative where you can come to my apartment my wife needed more staff supporting her uh, so we need to hire staff to keep it going in my apartment. And then, by the way, what happened was we 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 ran the debate and then the debate ended at eight o'clock. And then I went to my apartment two blocks away. And that's where we had our party and other people who wanted to come over from the Sheen Center joined the party. So we had about 60 people there. So I joined the party around eight o'clock and then people came at six to watch it on simulcast and to vote on it. So we have these two different theaters and that's our compromise. And that's what we want to keep going. And we need money for that. We also need money to take the show to Porkfest and take the show back on the road. We did go on the road to Florida. We went to South Dakota uh, and we and uh, and we also uh, uh, went, uh, where else did we go? Uh, we went to so far. Oh, of course, we went to New Hampshire uh, for uh, for to, took the, to take the show on the road there. And we need money for that. So that's where I'm asking for donations. Go into thesoulforum.org and, uh, and uh, you can hit the donate button. And we not only accept shit coin, which of course, is otherwise known as U.S. money, uh, U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve notes. <laughs> right. We also accept Bitcoin and uh, almost any other kind of cryptocurrency. Oh, I love what you did there. So, so you the the U.S. currency is the shit coin, and the the Bitcoin is the strong thing. So, it sounds like you support Bitcoin. I love that. I love the Soho Forum. Yeah, I love yeah. the Soho Forum. Yeah, yeah. The last debate with Angela McArdle was off the charts. We've had her on the show. She's great. People support the Soho Forum. Yeah. Check it out. The the debates yeah. are amazing. Thank you. Um. Going back to the the Vax card that you brought up, yeah, yeah. I I actually I got the first shot months and months ago. I got the Johnson yeah. and Johnson. I would never I wouldn't get a fake card. I would not do that. But I'm also not getting any boosters. And my principle is I'm not going to show my card to get in anywhere. Like that's where I'm drawing my line. Like these mandates are draconian. They're dangerous. If you want me to show my card to get into your business, I'm just not going to go to your business. So I've given up concerts. I've given up all kinds of things wow. out here because they want me to. To show it, I'm not going to show. I'm not going to prove to you. Um, a lot of people yeah. don't seem to understand that being anti-mandate doesn't necessarily have to mean the same thing as anti-vax. Like yeah, yeah. what we're against is government overreach, government involvement in my life where they don't need to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh no, no. And look, I mean, I mean, anecdotally, for example, uh, I, I learned from uh, from Dave Smith's interview with 
Angela McCardle, uh, his his son had been treated at a major New York City hospital, and he found to his surprise that at that hospital, among the people who work there, if uh, pregnant women are not are given an exemption from vaccine, and right. yet the government doesn't give them an exemption from vaccine. Uh, I know a pregnant woman who uh, is a little bit fearful about what the vax will do. Now, uh, you could say that there isn't conclusive evidence about that. It looks as though the vaccine won't hurt your fetus, won't hurt your pregnancy. But tell that to a pregnant woman. I mean, mm-hmm. if, I mean, uh, you know, so what are we going to do? Apologize to her later if we're wrong? I mean, you want the, and then sure. uh, I, I know another young woman uh, who told me that she actually got the Johnson vax, uh, the first vax, and she'd never had insomnia. And then for three straight months, she had dreadful insomnia after that vaccine. And then she went on some social media and she found a number of other people were reporting the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I just mentioned that to people who think, who tell me, oh, if you don't get vaxxed, you're selfish. You know, there are people who have some legitimate fears about side effects. And then, of course, on top of that, there are people, uh, many of whom are my friends, who've had COVID, who have the natural immunity and the idea that they should take a risk with respect to vaccine. That's ridiculous as well. I just want to elaborate on your point and say that, of course, you are talking about sheer principle, and I really deeply respect that, but I'm talking about practical fears. Absolutely. Practical yeah. consequences mm-hmm. that people can uh, can legitimately be concerned about. And certainly- yeah, and well, also because- you can't trust them because if you talk like right now, you're talking about some real side effects that are happening. Yeah. I had side effects from my shot. I was sick for four days. Like I felt like oh. I had COVID. So oh. you can't even talk about the side effects without getting canceled. So how am I supposed to trust you when you tell me that there's no side effects and yeah. it's perfectly safe yeah. when you when I've already caught you lying? Right. Yeah. So people are afraid and it's legitimate because the people who are telling them there's nothing to be afraid of have been lying. Yeah. 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 Sure. Absolutely. Well, you and I obviously are on the same page, but I just find it, uh, I, I can never predict uh, whether uh, somebody is going to tell me uh, that they don't mind enjoying themselves in New York with counterfeit papers or people who say, no, I'm not going to do counterfeit papers. And and then, of course, you obviously are not going to do counterfeit papers because uh, you, even if you did have to counterfeit, although I guess you you wouldn't, you know, since you have only one vax, you don't even have the booster or the second right. shot. I guess you're not acceptable anyway, you know, persona non grata. Although, of course, you're invited to my apartment and come <laughs> Well, thank come, you, come to my loft department, as you yeah. know. No, nothing required at the door. And and, and amazing, a lot, you know, of course, obviously, we could suffer both ways because a number of people at the Sheen Center didn't want to come to my apartment because they were afraid that all those non-vax people were going to infect them. But about uh, but a number of people did show. So the point is, obviously, this means that I provide choices and and whatever your fears are if you're uh, and whatever your attitudes are, uh, I give you a decent smorgasbord of board 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 of options uh, and super accommodating uh, and, awesome yeah, 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 let's let's uh yeah. let's get into the economy a little yeah, bit last yeah. time you were on the show yes uh you warned us about how government actions on covid and the lockdowns yeah. and spending was gonna lead to inflation and oh, yeah <laughs> you know yeah, like sure. like an oracle here we are inflation yeah. is here my christmas ham cost me an arm and a leg yeah uh, so you nailed it. You nailed well, it. So well, what thanks. Can we I, I, I going guess, forward. Yeah, I guess that wasn't too difficult to forecast with respect to inflation. I guess others were making the same statement. Uh, I have now uh, come to believe, and now I guess I'm going to be talking about the net, the longer term and the trajectory we're on. 
the uh, it, what we've been going through, ironically, I, I say ironically because there was no COVID in the 1970s and late 60s, but uh, but uh, we are indeed, uh, I think, seeing a replay of the uh, tra- tra- trajectory toward double-digit inflation that sure. began in the late 1960s, early 1970s, and that does greatly concern me. Uh, and uh, I'd like to believe that it's uh, not going to happen. But uh, when you're looking uh, over the next year or so, the Federal Reserve, for example, is going to raise uh, the short-term interest rate, but uh, but that interest rate is still going to be below the rate of inflation. And of course, that's the topsy-turvy world of the central bank uh, in a free market. Uh, clearly, if there is price inflation, then nobody is going to lend money at below the, the expected rate of price inflation, always above, because you want to see some real return. But the central bank has enough power to fix those interest rates. And that is a part of the uh, reason why they are courting a trajectory toward uh, price inflation uh, heating up. Uh, I don't necessarily expect that the 5 to 6% inflation we've been going through now is going to repeat itself in uh, 2022. It could decline to 3%, 4%. But uh, that's less of a concern for me than the fact that it's building. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I could explain a particular reason why I see an interaction between uh, the Federal Reserve and the labor markets and the business markets, why there will be a, a pressure on the Federal Reserve gradually built up to expand the money supply to accommodate uh, the tightness of the labor market, the fact that wages are are, are on a trajectory to rise, the prices are are on a trajectory to rise. Um, And what I mean in particular is that while I don't believe in the conventional wage price spiral, there is no such thing unless you have monetary expansion to accommodate it. There is a natural pressure on the Federal Reserve to accommodate rising wages and rising prices as it did in the 1970s. And that that uh, dynamic tends to feed on itself. So maybe I've given you the broad brushstrokes of why I expect price inflation to heat up uh, and why next year I do expect the price, price inflation to be fairly strong, but I would not be surprised if it eases up a bit uh, in 2022. Okay. And yeah, you, you, you uh, there was a lot there. You just lot, mentioned, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, just mentioned inf- yeah. inflation was like yeah. five to 6%. Um, that's yeah. can. Uh, according, I guess, to the CPI. And isn't it true that they've changed the formula of that? Like, isn't actual real inflation a little bit higher than that right now? Well, I actually, because this is where, uh, you know, where free market people dislike me, where I'm just not popular with free market people. I I actually believe, and uh, and I've done a fair amount of, uh, of, of uh, close scrutiny of the situation. I do believe that the conventional measures of price inflation actually do still somewhat overstate price inflation rather than understating it. Okay. Uh, in the case of the CPI, it is by nearly a percentage point. And that percentage point mattered in the years when we were run officially running a 2% inflation. Uh, but now that we're running 5 to 6%, that percentage point 
doesn't matter that much. The personal consumption expenditures deflator, which I regard as more accurate, that's called the PCE. And that's actually the, the price index that the Federal Reserve at least officially respects the most. Uh, and that, that personal consumption expenditure deflator has been revised over time. But retrospectively, all the revisions are always, are always included in the history. Uh, the, the CPI, as I guess you correctly said, uh, was revised down in the late 90s. And I believe that that was a valid move. Uh, and I, I will say to my free market friends that if you think of the uh, bureaucracy that is uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are the statistical mills run by the government. And then you think in terms of all of the innovations that actually do take place in the free market. I will mm -hmm. say briefly, they, they missed the Walmart effect. Walmart lowered prices, cut prices, and forced other other uh, uh, retailers to do the same. They missed that effect. They missed the Amazon effect. Amazon cut prices as well mm -hmm. and forced others to do the same. They missed the smartphone. The okay. smartphone. What could they do with the smartphone? The smartphone replaces so many things. I don't mm -hmm. wear a watch anymore. I don't carry a. I don't. You have a flashlight in my home, so so the smartphone does that for me. And then the smartphone does so many other things. So how do you make sense of it? Well, these innovations in the marketplace are very difficult for uh, a price index to track. And generally speaking, what they do is they aren't, they they don't sufficiently appreciate uh, these changes that are made. They have. And in particular, they have interesting bureaucratic ways of dealing with uh, with a company like Walmart that suddenly cuts prices that that do not sufficiently reflect the fact that those prices were cut. So I'm mentioning that only to say that if you believe in the free market, then you really do find that price indexes, which of course are inherently inexact, they're not rather than a science. The, the mainstream makes too much of them as a science. They clearly are ultimately a little ridiculous, but they do they they do have some use. They do track things uh, somewhat accurately and uh, uh, approximately, I should say, and they do tend to overstay. The personal consumption expenditures of later, which came in yesterday at 5.7% year over year, I think is accurate, but although I do believe it overstates price inflation by a little uh, under half a percentage point. However, uh, that doesn't matter at this point. We're talking about numbers that are in the 5 to 6% range, and so the overstatement uh, is not very great in proportion to, to the measurement that's being applied. Uh, so I'm using those numbers uh, approximately. And uh, I will uh, also, and, and I mean, I could go into other arguments about the price indexes. If you really believe, as some do, that, uh, that, the, uh, that, the, that the price indexes are really, we should have been at 7%, 8% and all that, then, then, uh, then you wiped out all the economic growth of the last 10 years. In other words, that, that you then look at uh, nominal growth, nominal gross domestic product, which was running at about four to five percent. And then if you're going to apply a price deflator of six percent to it, then you actually will have been looking at an economic contraction over the last 10 years. And then when I say that, some of my free market friends then plunge in and say, yeah, well, that actually is what happened. They 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 believe that there's been a contraction. Well, 
the truth is that we have so many other indicators that demonstrate that there actually has been an economic expansion over the last 10 years rather than economic uh, contraction. So so again, that's a number of reasons why uh, I'm uh, I'm a heretic among free market people. And I do believe, as I say, that the price indexes are approximately right and, and, and are okay. on the side of overstatement. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's a new perspective I've not heard. That, that's okay. interesting. Yeah. And I'm going to trust you because you, you've gotten it right before. Um, well, now, thanks. you know, libertarians, uh, free market people have been talking about where we're at now coming for a very long time. It yeah. seems like it seems like COVID yeah. and all the mandates and the restrictions really just amplified it and sped, sped it up, got here faster. But we were going down this path anyway. Yeah. This build back better thing. Oh, wow. um, is there any good that can come of this getting through or is this just bad all the way through? And is Joe Manchin singularly uh, saving yeah. us from Democrat empirical rule for the rest of our lives? Well, I, I I definitely applaud Joe Manchin. I I realized that that you can call Manchin a mensch, and it sort of has a certain ring. So I've called him Manchin the mensch. Uh, mensch is Yiddish for somebody who's truly manly, and uh, and that's uh, and so uh, I do respect him for what it, what he's done. Uh, even though he's obviously uh, he, he voted for the military expenditures bill, so so clearly he's not quite uh, the libertarian uh, senator that you oh, and no. I would like to see. However, you and I, uh, you know, we'll settle for what we can get and thank God for small favors. And we're glad that he's got it. The, the point uh, the, the, the point about the bill is that it, it was going to be financed through further monetary expansion. Uh, and uh, and uh, as perhaps, you know, the Congressional Budget Office was uh, was asked about those little problems in all of these bills. The, the problem being that it was supposed to cost only a certain amount, supposed to boost the deficit by only $200 billion, some only, but $200 billion because so many of its provisions were supposed to expire. But that's the ploy, as you know, that that they always put in these bills. That mm-hmm. They mark them for, as costing very little because they build in the assumption that, 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 the cert, that certain provisions are going to expire when we know full well that once these provisions are on the books, it's very difficult to, to not renew them, very difficult to cancel them. So the Congressional Budget Office was asked, assume that, that, that these several provisions do not expire, but continue. And so their calculation was that over 10 years, instead of the, the bill adding $200 billion to the deficit, it would add $3 trillion to the deficit. And I frequently do like to quote the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, because even though they are, they are establishment, they are wonkish, they do have Keynesian leanings. Generally speaking, what they come up with is pretty sensible. And so $3 trillion additional to the deficit is going to have to be monetized. It will be, it will mean um, more money created, more money on top of the already uh, uh, obvious explosion in the money supply. And so that's the basis of the bill. I mean, I'm, and I'm not even arguing like a libertarian. I'm arguing like uh, like Manchin did, which is only that clearly uh, if if you're going to add that much to the deficit, then uh, then then you just don't have a viable bill. You've got to. And I'm I'm just going to talk like Mansion. Is this affordable? Well, it's not affordable because clearly you're not going to raise raise taxes enough to pay for it. And if you do raise taxes, uh, that could have repercussions as well. So it was just pure insanity to push through a bill of this size 
given all of the problem, all of the fiscal problems that that the government faces. Uh, and so, again, I, I haven't even answered like a libertarian. I've answered like a Joe Manchin to that question. Beyond that, of course, um, we we do need a rollback of government spending, uh, and uh, and that that is just not um, not likely to happen. Even though uh, ultimately something like that has got to happen. Ultimately, uh, government is going to get uh, unaffordable. Ultimately, I say. Ultimately, within 10 to 15 years, given the trajectory, I keep using that word, given the trends in the debt to GDP, the debt in relation to the budget, the the cost of financing the debt is going to be prohibitive. Financing the debt, by financing the debt, I mean just the interest cost on the debt. Right Right now, it's not very high because the interest rate is very low. Well, let let, let me cut you off with a question right there. Isn't part of the the reason why the, the government actually kind of needs inflation is yeah. so that they can make money cheaper to keep paying the interest on the debt. Like, isn't that a situation we're in now where we need cheaper money to afford to be able to pay the interest? Well, yeah, but you see that that bites you in the ass, if you don't mind my uh, my further vulgarity. Uh, what, because what, what will ultimately happen and what did happen in the 1970s is that the bond market eventually gets wise to the inflation. Right. And, 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 the, and then if, even if the Federal Reserve tries to control the short-term interest rate, it has more and more difficulty controlling the 10, 15, and 20-year interest rates. And those interest rates then begin to rise uh, in, in tandem with inflation. And so that, that it really is a losing battle. Uh, and uh, and so uh, I I don't I mean I don't know I don't know if we can really read the government's mind I don't I don't really think the Federal Reserve wanted to, wanted to create this inflation I think they did it because they're stupid and and uh, but if you're saying well the government wanted to create the inflation in order to uh, to to, uh, to to debase the value of the debt then uh, then perhaps but then again again uh, the, the the market ultimately determines the interest rate uh, even though it even though I'm a little bit surprised that the long-term interest rate is still as low as it is, but uh, but it's it, this can't last for that much longer. Maybe it'll last for a few more years. But the but the the Congressional Budget Office uh, uh, calculates that if the interest rate goes above four percent, the average interest rate on the debt goes to four percent from less than two percent, then it's going to suck up about 25% of federal expenditures. And so, mm-hmm. and and the average interest rate on the debt has been uh, nearly 6%. That's the historical average. So we're talking about it's going to a little bit above 4%. But as I say, to get back to your question, inflating the money supply and causing price inflation usually causes interest rates to soar. Mm-hmm. The mortgage interest rates soared to 15% in the 1970s. I forget what the peak was in the in the treasury rate, but it went up 10%. So that's why you can't you can't beat the, the, the debt and deficit from the government standpoint by inflating. You can't, it's a losing battle. Well, okay. So yeah. the only the, the only way to get this under control, like inflation, yeah. to correct me if I'm wrong, because yeah. I don't understand these things fully, but wouldn't you need to turn up the interest rate above the rate of inflation to slow inflation? And if you do that, yeah. don't you collapse the economy? Like, is there a winning yeah. solution here? Well, um, well, you just basically summarized what actually did happen in the in the from the sixties to the seventies to the early nineteen eighties. Uh, uh, the the inflation was running at ten percent, eleven percent. Price inflation was running at ten percent, eleven percent, and 
uh, and and it was uh, going. It was continuing to feed on itself. Uh, there there was a clear risk it would rise to twenty percent. 30% because the dynamic of, uh, of of all of that need for money to be expanded in order to accommodate those rising wages and rising prices was such that the Federal Reserve kept underwriting it, kept responding to it, kept expanding the money supply in response. That's what I call sort of the cost push effect under the Federal Reserve. But then Paul Volcker came along Paul Volcker was then mm -hmm. uh, appointed under Jimmy Carter in the 1970s, Democratic president, to be chairman of the Federal Reserve. And, and Volcker knew that the only way to break the back of the inflation was to hike uh, the, the, the short-term interest rate to 22%, which is where it went. And then I say, I don't know if he knew that it would have to go to 22%, but he certainly knew that it would have to, it would have to go to a, to a, an almost impossible rate in order to slow the economy, break the back of the inflation, break the back of the housing market, break all of the interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy then got severely hurt and they no longer then got fed their money they they were no longer at the trough to get their the, get their money and that's what broke the back of the inflation and that's why in the early 1980s uh disinflation the inflation rate began to fall but of course what were what were the repercussions we had at that point what was that was up to that point the the most severe 1981 to 82 recession the most severe recession since the great Depression. We've beaten it, and we beat that record in, in 2008, 2009. But but the uh, but that that 81, 82 recession was pretty severe. Uh, unemployment rate went up to 10 percent. Now, getting so therefore you've just summarized what did happen when you asked the question: uh, Do we then have to bring about a recession in order to end the inflation? Well, uh, the answer is probably. But 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 if the Federal Reserve were to act more aggressively now, it might cause a milder recession. It might not be as bad as it was in the in the early 1980s. Depressingly, however, I don't anticipate that they will. Uh, that I I believe, as I mentioned uh, earlier, that the Fed funds rate is going to go to two percent, three percent, and you don't you don't anticipate under, that under they the rate of under the rate of price inflation. But go ahead, what's your question? You don't anticipate they will. Is that because you think they're dumb or are they evil like which is well, it it can't it has to be one of those <laughs> dumb and evil. Okay. right like to, either either they to... don't understand that they need to to bring it up or they purposefully uh, are making this decision or they don't understand yeah. the economy like you do you know there's only so many possible explanations guy you've cornered me you've got me stumped let me see now <laughs> <laughs> well um there's a there's a, an enormous amount of pressure from uh, on the fiscal side. You know, there was all the, all that debt that the that the federal that 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 the Treasury is incurring is being bought up by uh, by the Federal Reserve. They've got yeah. to keep buying that debt, and uh, and and so they 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 feel pressure from uh, from on the fiscal side, pressure from the White House uh, to continue to expand the money supply, and and that goes part and parcel with keeping the interest rate low. Uh, Maybe, uh, I mean, um, maybe. Uh, Can I, I want to explain that real quick for people oh, in yeah, case they don't sure. understand, because I only recently understood that. When sure, you say sure. they're buying up the debt, they oh, yeah. are buying bonds yeah, yeah. for a low interest rate and, and circulating more money out into the economy, which is yeah. what actually the inflation is. They're putting more money into the economy. Well, well, well they, yeah, they buy, they, they have open market operations 
where they've been they 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 buy they buy debt on uh, they buy short term debt they buy long term debt they they were buying mortgages I think they're maybe buying mortgages less than they used to so they just buy this debt in the open market and interestingly uh, in terms of the dynamics the treasury issues new debt all the time but it, but it does it in a in a different auction different venue uh, so that new debt is bought up by dealers uh, but but in its own market the federal reserve is buying debt and and so clearly it's the same debt although mm-hmm. to me it isn't always the same debt they, they they might buy more long-term debt than the treasury is issued or buy more short-term debt but but if you match up the numbers then uh then 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 the Federal Reserve was buying about eighty to ninety percent of the new debt that the Treasury was issued was issuing, yeah. even though even though they weren't but they weren't actually at the auction when the Treasury was selling their debt. They were just they were just buying it in the secondary market uh, in in another venue. So so but 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 it matches up. The, the, that's that's monetizing the debt. And how do, of course how do they buy the debt? They buy the debt by by creating money. So, mm-hmm. so that money then that money then goes into the banks. The money the money is bought. Uh, by the money rather the the debt is sold to the Federal Reserve. The money the Federal Reserve uses to buy the debt goes into the hands of the dealers who sell the debt and those dealers deposit that money in their banks yeah. so that money goes all goes into the banks now when you mention interest rates the federal reserve now is holding a lot of debt that pays interest but and and uh, and that I might as well elaborate since some people find this rather interesting. The, the, the Federal Reserve doesn't subsist on taxes. How do they pay the bills? They've got they 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 they, they pay they they've got twelve different Federal Reserve districts. They've got huge bureaucracies. What what pays their bills? Well, they pay their bills because they're holding so much debt, and the interest payments that are made on that debt by the Treasury go to the Federal Reserve. You know, you, they're just bondholders. They're debt holders. Mm-hmm. They, they hold that bond, those bonds. The bonds pay interest, and that's where the Federal Reserve gets all its money. Although interestingly enough, it gets so much money that it, that it cuts a check to the Treasury for money it doesn't use every year. But anyway, I just elaborated on that because I thought it was intriguing to bear in mind about how it works. Uh, they, they 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 live off their bonds, and so yeah. again, it. But I mean, when you think in terms of buying bonds, you mentioned the interest rate and all the rest of it. Uh, they could buy, uh, you know, they could buy uh, cars. They could buy almost anything in the marketplace if they want to. The Federal Reserve could, but of course, the reason why they want to buy government debt is because they would like to they would like to finance and facilitate the operations of the fiscal side of the government that they serve and of which they are a loyal part. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve was reappointed by Biden. And of course, and and uh, but they could drive him out. They could make it difficult for him if he doesn't cooperate with Washington. So I'm I'm struggling for some lame answers to the question you asked about why why don't they operate uh, aggressively uh, and recognize that they have very few alternatives and that they have to push the, the, the interest rate above the rate of inflation in order to stop, in order to have any hope of stopping the inflation. Uh, and uh, I guess you, you're saying evil or dumb. Well, gutless, is that a third alternative? Yeah, I think uh, the way you're oh, explaining yeah, it, the, yeah. the way you're explaining it, they have to please the yeah. administration. Yeah. Uh, to keep their job. The Fed chairman right. needs to please the administration right. to keep his job. And if he causes a recession, that's not going to make the administration look good. So and it, and it was pointed out to me, uh, actually, by Milton Friedman, if you remember, the, uh, when when he was talking about the politics of what happened 
in the 70s and 80s, that, that even though Paul Volcker was appointed by Jimmy Carter, uh, Paul Volcker probably would not have been able to do what he did by, by, by showing the guts to hike the interest rate to 22% uh, if, if Reagan had not been the president at the time that Volcker did it, because Reagan then replaced Carter. And Reagan was, was what I mean, Reagan probably understood what, 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 what Volcker was doing, because Reagan, Reagan was not nearly, nearly as dumb as people seem to think he was. Reagan was actually pretty smart about economics, which is kind of something that, that that's a bit ironic, given, given the way uh, people tend to think of Reagan. Reagan actually wrote some interesting papers on economics, interesting essays about it. So he knew what Volcker was doing, and he had the guts to back him at that point. But it took the combination then of a Reagan and a Volcker to do what they did. And that's the reason why I'm not too hopeful about uh, about the future, because I don't see, see Biden uh, and Powell acting in the same way. No. So you need a president in there who's willing to eat it a little bit and see the economy suffer a little bit in the short term. That, yeah, that's, no. And, and it was major whole, suffering, major suffering. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing, like the way you explain it, buying and selling debt back and forth between yeah. the Fed and and the banks and, and foreign countries doing it. It just feels like a giant Ponzi scheme, like well, everybody's just trading debt. It it seems like something that is doomed ultimately to fail. And that's that's why a lot of people love crypto now because it's a new system. It decentralizes. How do you feel about crypto? Well, yeah, no, I, well, I, I, I have, I'm optimistic. I'm bullish on crypto, but I just want to go back to the point and say that indeed, uh, I, I hope it isn't, too confusing and too boringly wonkish when you describe what actually goes on. Uh, and oh, I love it. But, yeah. but it was, it was, it's really just that it's just, it's just a sort of confusing mechanism where what simply happens is that uh, the, 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 the federal government uh, and going back to the to the kings who seized the people's money, the kings wanted to fight their wars and, and you got to raise money to fight a war. So how do you do it? Well, you could tax people. Or you could legitimately borrow from them. You could you could issue bonds that people legitimately buy with yeah. money that they have. But then there's a third alternative, and that's the third alternative that's that's the most seductive. Well, just seize the people's money, uh, seize all the gold, so, uh, and and then of course in uh, what what's happened over the last hundred years is phase out gold and turn and and turn money into just that shit coin, the do- the dollars that we have, the paper dollars, and so you control the money supply and you don't have to tax them you don't have mm-hmm. to borrow them borrow from them you can simply print it and yes. and and that's basically what we're talking about money printing except uh, as as one economist joked um, in the old days government printed money now first they print bonds then they print money so that it's just a complicated messy mechanism whereby the government is financing its operation through the printing of money it essentially yeah. sells bonds to the federal reserve so just say it's printing money and that's all it involves and i hope that, I didn't that is a brilliant no that's a brilliant exp- uh, and short and simple way to understand it of, of laying that out. Thank you for that yeah, explanation. Sure. I think our audience can wrap their mind around it. So, so. you know, we're fighting these endless wars. Yeah. Um, they need to finance them. Yeah. They, well, can that, borrow, yeah. they can borrow the money or they can steal it. And that's what they've done by debasing the currency, getting rid of the gold standard. And that's where we are. Printing the money, absolutely creating the money supply, which which they and that's the modern modern monetary theorists. I regard them as practitioners uh, practitioners of modern monetary tyranny because they basically say the government the government the federal government doesn't have to tax or borrow at all; it could just print 
and and that and that of course is what the federal government loves to do and that one would even think that it's offensive not just to libertarians but to any any you know small d democrat the, go- yeah. the government instead of coming to us and saying well we need to tax and we need to borrow so yeah. you want to f- approve what we've done the government doesn't have to ask us about it they can just print the money. And that's a violation, one would assume, assume of just small d democracy that should offend everybody. It should offend everybody because it devalues the money you have. So yeah. it's stealing from well, you well, by devalue, devaluing what you've earned and saved. Well, but yes, but, but even uh, apart from that as well, it's essentially the federal government having the right to take initiatives without really asking us, without really asking us for the money, asking the electorate for the money, yeah. either either from the standpoint of taxing or borrowing. Because if it only had to tax or borrow, then, then any borrowing would have to ultimately be paid for from taxes right. and so instead of from the printing of money and so uh, but so that's the other part of it which is that it gives the government immense power to initiate yeah. wars to initiate programs and to initiate of course what uh, joe manchin voted against because it can always print the money uh, that, that's when uh, what's his face um <laughs> i'm sorry george w bush's vice president who was known as you know he said Famously, you know that uh, you know deficits don't matter. You know Reagan proved that deficits don't matter. You know, and then and why did he prove it? Because ultimately, the Reagan deficits. I said nice things about Reagan. I'll say some bad things. There were a lot of Reagan deficits, which many of which were were financed through the printing of money. So mm-hmm. that that was Dick Cheney, of course, Dick Cheney, who was vice president of the United States under George W. Bush. But anyway, getting to crypto, um, the uh, the the reason why uh, I believe that uh, crypto has a future is because I think that uh, ultimately the dollar doesn't have a future. Ultimately, I think that it's likely that over the next decade or two, there will be a fiscal crisis. The dollar will become a more difficult currency to hold. It could happen in different ways. Uh, uh, and I, I would even go back in time and ask, what would have happened if crypto were around in the late 70s when double-digit inflation was taking off? That's when gold was taking off. I think crypto would have taken off. Crypto would have become much more popular at that point. Uh, and uh, I think a similar phenomenon is going to happen, oh, I, but I but I think it's going to take ten to twenty years because again, you, it's difficult to underestimate uh, um, the, uh, the 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 power of of the federal government to keep things going. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there will be recession, there will be inflation, but the dollar is now in charge of the world. Uh, the dollar is, of course, the the currency that the world prefers, and that that uh, the currency of world trade. And but I think that. There, there will be a risk that it will become unstable once the debt becomes unsustainable for the federal government. But I think that is probably 10 to 15 years away. Uh, okay. But that could even be within my lifetime. But, yeah. uh, and uh, so that's why I think that. Oh, you got 15 years left in you easy, Gene. I would imagine yeah, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be I'll be 93. And then, yeah. And I'm, I'm well, hey, to- in today's America, you could be president at 93. So absolutely, why not? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going I'm going in for a lot of life extension programs so i expect to last actually another 60 70 years right on yeah and uh so uh so that too so i'll be around then as well and right on uh, so i think that you know uh, bitcoin year over year uh, tends to grow in value and uh i i've been persuaded by those more knowledgeable than i that bitcoin is probably the crypto of the future i might be organizing a debate 
by the way, at the Soul Forum. I've had three debates on cryptocurrency already at the Soul Forum, but uh, at the Soul Forum. But the next debate will probably be the kind of debate that's uh, that's a that's arisen between libertarians, which is Bitcoin versus all the other cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, is is Bitcoin the crypto of the future, gotcha. or one of the other the crypto of the future? I'd love to hear. I'd love to see you get uh, someone like Peter Schiff, who, oh, who God, is a free market guy but hates crypto versus oh someone did, like Michael Saylor, somebody who loves crypto. I, I did. I did. It was right a while ago. The most popular crypto debate we had actually was with Peter Schiff and oh, no kidding. Voorhees. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that. I got to look that look, one up. Look I, look, I have to say in public, Peter is a stopped clock when it comes to the economy. So he, he, he predicts a collapse every year, as, <laughs> as, does, as does David Stockman. You know, uh-huh. a stopped clock has got to be right twice a day, right? So you so you can always claim some victory every once in a while that you're right. And and Peter Peter said to Eric Voorhees that gold gold has intrinsic value and Bitcoin doesn't. Well, yeah, Eric Voorhees yeah. had to tell Peter that he should read a little Austrian economics because he would recognize that nothing has intrinsic value. Not only, I, as I like to put it to people, not only, not even food and water has intrinsic value because, <laughs> because, because you have to believe that your life has intrinsic value first right. in order to think that food, food and water just have subjective value as a means of staying alive, but you've got to choose to stay alive to begin with. So nothing, it's all subjective. Uh, gold, uh, Bitcoin, but he believes in that intrinsic value Cockamaminess, which is pushed by the mainstream. So I think he's a little bit out to lunch with respect to this issue. Uh, anyway, I do recommend you uh, you go on our website and you can hear people. Hundred percent. I'm going to go listen to that Peter one. As debating as we get off Eric Voorhees on 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 Bitcoin and the future of Bitcoin. Uh, and he was a very affable guy. I mean, I like him personally, uh, but he's a little, uh, I think, a little deranged. Uh, and that that debate <laughs> has gotten uh, over a million YouTube views. I don't know how I missed that one. I, I yeah, watch well, most of the debates. It's going to have yeah. a million and one once you go into the. <laughs> okay, we're running we're running low on time, so I oh, just sure. want to ask you one thing about the the Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus, oh. uh, twenty twenty four. I think the Libertarian Party has a chance to make some real noise, win maybe even win some Senate seats. Yeah. I don't know, but as far as like the big guy who we're going to put up, you know, for the for the number one. The presidency, you know, we've had Larry Sharp on the show. We've had Spike Cohen on the show multiple times. I'm big fans of theirs. I also love Dave Smith. Who are you? favoring who do you like to to run as president well, it looks i mean i i i get i you're probably asking the wrong person i'm i'm not knowledgeable enough about spike Cohn, uh and to give him a chance uh you know i get the impression that the person who's the best candidate for the libertarian party is dave dave smith because uh, he you know he's he's the guy who can get on joe rogan uh, he's he's very quickly and articulate i know that he and spike Cohn are having a debate I think it was yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah, it was yesterday, yeah. and I, I'm not, I'm not a, a I'm not a, a platinum member of, uh, of Lions <laughs> of Liberty, so I've got to wait made a week for it. I, I wish, I wish Dave Smith weren't as strongly against immigration as he seems to be. I, I think when Dave says uh, correctly that that in a libertarian society, an ANCAP society, if you own property, we all own land, and people can come on your property either by invitation or they're trespassing. And it's true that a lot of immigrants are trespassing on our property in the U.S., but most immigrants are invited in. Most immigrants take jobs. Most of them uh, do rent from people who voluntarily rent 
to them. And so I think you ought to bear that in mind as a practical matter. Most immigrants do pay their way, pay, pay their own way. And in addition, I do believe Dave then points out that they cost a lot in the welfare state. That was Milton Friedman's point. You can either have free immigration or you can have a welfare state, but you can't have both. Right. But I think that Brian Kaplan and other economists have pointed out that even in this in this very screwed up economy, most immigrants do pay for themselves. They're not really a drain. And certainly right now, so many of the people, are so so many natives are dropping out of the labor force. We could use more immigrant labor. And I do think that, that from a libertarian standpoint, to obstruct my right or your right to employ an immigrant on your property, that you have to ask the government in order to do so, or, or, that, or that if that immigrant is renting from a landlord or buys a house in a, in a free transaction and works for you, that's that's a fundamental right that the government yeah. is trampling on. And so I wish you would be more... Now, I know he's debating Spike Cohen, although, although clearly it has a lot to do with the border issue right now, which is a little bit more complicated. So I wish he would change his mind about that. And I believe he's probably, Dave Smith has probably outgrown his, 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 his excitement about being a husband and father and would no longer say, as he did say at one point, that childless women are all screwed up. You know, he once said that. <laughs> Then he's got to say that about Angela McCardle because he has, she has no choice. You know, Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave's trajectory, as you probably know, was that in his twenties he was probably wenching all the time. He probably thought he never got married, never get married. Right. And then, then he meets the love of his life, and then he becomes the model husband and father. And and this just suffuses him with utter happiness. And the next thing you know, he's saying this is the only way to live. You know, I don't, I don't, I think we libertarians ought to be a little bit more humble yeah. about how to live. Sure. And and I myself am a happy grandfather and father. And and I completely agree with Dave that problematic as those relationships are, they're the only way to live. But I don't preach to everyone about that. And that's what Dave was doing for a while. He was a recent yeah. convert to husband and fatherhood. But I think he's modified in that regard. Uh, with respect to his opinions of about abortion, he should probably soft pedal those a, a little bit. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't argue with his view that abortion is murder. But I, I do, I do think that just as Ron Paul, you know, sort of soft pedal his views, Dave should do the same thing. But with that said, even if he doesn't change, I imagine you agree. It's hard to compete with Dave if Dave is really going to, to try to choose the medal because of, of being uh, the presidential candidate because he is very gifted and uh, he does have extremely. A he's yeah. he's very gifted in debate. He's he's yeah. very and he, he's very logical. And yet the yeah. the um, border issue is a very interesting one. Well. Because a true libertarian, but I, I I hate those kind of discussions. True libertarian, this true libertarian, well, that. It's like what what works, and that's kind of what he's getting at. What works right now, like well, 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 well are we going to have well, our libertarian it, utopia, or are we going to, well, you know? Well, but again, I, forgive me, but again, what I'm saying though is that the, the the first thing any libertarian should should say, just as Dave did say, is that is that if you, if you want to invite an immigrant in to to work for you. Uh, then, then, then there's just a default position in favor of that, and 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 provide that immigrant yes. with housing. I'll keep it simple. What, yes. What right does the government have to interfere? In? That Zero. is the exercise of power. That's 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 transactions between consenting adults. And Correct. empirically, uh, there there are refugees. There are people who can't work. That's a different issue. They they have to be invited in through charity, through philanthropy. And if you want to say, well, we don't want to do that, uh, and and that's trespass. That's another matter. But the empirical fact of the matter. 
matter is that in the here and now, most immigrants do seek jobs. Most of them move to parts of the country where the jobs are. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the incidence of employment among immigrant men is, is, is much higher than it is among native-born men. Although, interestingly enough, wow. the, women, the women work less. That's something Dave should like. The women actually have a lower participation rate in the workforce, even though the men much higher, more conventional setups than because the women are raising kids, doing exactly what Dave in his used to think women yeah, should do. The immigrants are, uh, they're a little bit more traditional with the values than Precis- are Americans, which is Precis- interesting because Precis- they typically they, come they, here and they, and they become uh, associated with the Democrat party, but their values align with conservatives. Yes. And, and Yes, and, and exactly. And predicting exactly what their politics will be, I think, is a little bit dicey. The point is that, again, from a libertarian standpoint, as indeed Brian Kaplan, who is an ANCAP, will argue, there is a strong default position in favor of telling the government that it cannot interfere in transactions between consenting adults between natives and immigrants. And, yep. uh, and I agree with that 100%. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, then that that's, in a way, empirically, most of what does happen. Most of them come here to work. Many of them do the shit work of society. I mean, and of course, in New York City, when you look at the, at the, at, the, at Queens, Brooklyn, you look at all of the, of the poorer sections of the city that have become vibrant because of the, because of Korean immigrants, you can move, go to Queens, it's sort of like the borough of all nations. You mm-hmm. can walk in these immigrant neighborhoods and and be happy that these people have come. They they've brought these neighborhoods alive. And of course, I speak as of course the grandson of immigrants. And 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 it does bother me a little bit that uh, that the attitude that Dave seems to represent would have meant that my ancestors never would have been able to come into the country. They came here to work, and they did work. They 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 pursued jobs, and they contributed to society. Did they did they come illegally though? Because that's well, that's they, well, the no, they came, they came legally, but this but was you're saying it, there shouldn't be a difference because the government shouldn't be sticking their nose in there anyway. Well, yeah, no, no, because it, yeah, it yeah. was at a time when the, when the, when you know it was a, the, the government kept out the Asians. Somehow the Chinese were, were were people that they needed to keep out, and they they had a special law for Chinese. But by and large, the the, the gates were open. By and large, there was no there were yeah. no particular restrictions on immigrants coming into the country. And you could have said, in the case of the Jews, that that they tend to be very left wing. They're probably going to bring socialism to this country. And of course, that's more or less what did happen. Most Jews had voted. Democrat and my mother was a com- member of the Communist Party, and she and she wouldn't oh, have no been kidding. able to come in. What interesting. I said, no yeah. kidding. That's that's yeah. pretty interesting. And yeah. so you could have kept the Jews out on that basis as well. The the the, uh, the, the, the my only. My point in that regard is making predictions about what kind of politics the immigrants will have and whether they'll, whether it'll be good for libertarians or bad for libertarians, I think is a prediction that could be proved wrong. And I don't think it's a strong enough objection to the simple point. That, that immigrants who want to take a job here uh, should be allowed in. And that's what most of them want to do. They do want yep. to take a job here. So, yep. so that, but again, I get, I mean, the, the, the other issue as, as to refugee immigrants, I do agree, of course, is obviously much more, uh, much more complicated if those refugees are basket cases, charity cases, and they're not working. Although, of course, as you perhaps know, the million Vietnamese immigrants who came into this country, they're, they're, they're just sort of, you know, burning up the charts in terms of their, their businesses, immigrants, for example, start businesses at twice or three times the rate of native-born wow. people. Wow. So again, they they contribute, and that's the reason why I wish Dave would ease up about his viewpoint about immigrants. But that aside, to get back to your question, 
I, I'm I'm being unfair to Spike Cohn and anybody else you mentioned because they don't I don't know them well enough. But I am on balance pretty impressed with Dave uh, as uh, if he's going to put out the energy uh, as he put it recently. He, he he would he would gladly bow to somebody else who wants the job. He said, "I like my life." He's obviously very successful in his podcast. Sure. He lives. He, he loves being with his wife and kids, and he's going to sacrifice to go on the road. He's taking the show on the road to meet with different libertarian uh, parties in different states and uh, putting out the energy there. And so I respect that, um, and I respect the fact that he's going to go for it and probably contribute greatly to the libertarian movement by doing so. Awesome. Gene, thank you so much. That's been an hour. Thank you for your time. You brought a lot of, lot of knowledge and uh, interesting facts to, to the conversation here. We appreciate you guys. Check out the Soho Forum. It's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch the one with Peter Schiff right now. Um, is there anything else you want to tell the people before you go? Well, I guess not. Uh, I guess uh, I can only tell you that I, uh, that uh, you should probably orient your investment portfolio toward those assets that tend to do tend to do well during a price inflation. Uh, and take a look at the 1970s. I'm beginning to think of those terms. I couldn't do a, a complete rundown of that. Obviously, Bitcoin tends to do well during a price inflation. Uh, I don't know if gold does well during a price inflation. That's up in the air. But other kinds of assets, like real estate assets, also tend to do so. But I can't give a complete answer to that question. I can only say that it's a question you should ask yourself if you have a portfolio of some size that you would like to protect. Uh, Excellent. Because that's do. really the future, uh, price inflation. Thank you. Thank okay. you so much, Gene. Well, so you're, you're going to release this. Uh, at, uh, you'll, you'll send me an email once it's released, just to remind me. For sure. I'll send you, I'll send you a link, all that. Yeah. It'll be out Pleasure. next week, probably Wednesday. Pleasure and happy new year. Talk to you Thank soon. You. Thank you. Thank you, Gene. Bye-bye. Bye.